Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Our normal host, the Deputy Director of Citizen Action, Matt Brusky, is on a trip. And so he is not with us today. So it is only two-thirds of the panel, uh, yours truly. And it is Claire Zoutke, Citizen Action's Healthcare for All Director. So Claire, happy which Thursday that we record. Happy Thursday. Ah, thank you. Happy Thursday to you, too. I was going to try to crack a joke about how we're the better two-thirds, but I, I couldn't quite make it work. So listeners, pretend like I said something really clever and funny here. <laughs> so, okay. So we have a lot to get into, so I'm going to get beyond the pleasantries quickly. And our first topic is going to be actually the biggest topic for humanity. It is climate change. This is the topic of topics. Uh, Claire, a UN report came out, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is, it may just sound like another alphabet soup. It is the most definitive research on climatology. It's the expresses the opinions of 99% of the climate scientists in the world. So any right-wing cranks there brought up with their engineering degrees to give climate denial, it's not the same thing, folks. Uh, so it indicates that things are far worse than we thought they were. And remember, we have already permanently changed the climate, and the report is definitive even more than the previous, and they've all been definitive for a while, that this is human-made, this is not in doubt, there are facts in the world. Uh, in academics, we used to call it the really real to suggest that there is real that's not really real. This is like the really, really real, folks. And in fact, we know we have to stay under 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. That is two degrees Fahrenheit. And we all, and the Paris climate target, cutting it in half roughly by 2030, eliminating, uh, getting 80% by 2050, assumed a slower trajectory. We now think getting to the limit is 10 years earlier. And that's why we're seeing things happening this summer that really aren't supposed to happen until the 2030s. That's why. This is real. And so it's even more urgent that we, cut, that we dramatically cut emissions. And you know what? We are not doing it. No developed country, even though they're ahead of us, many of them, are not, are not meeting the standard for real. And no state is doing so. And I think we have a situation here where we have the only major political party in the advanced industrial world that is in climate denial mode, totally in bed with fossil fuels. That would be the modern Republican Party, the new nationalist, what I like to now call, based on philosopher Timothy Schneider's labeling, pre-fascist. That is, all the elements of fascism without the death camps is the way to see it, Okay and the world wars yet, but it's the same emotions, the same kind of movement. And they're in denial, but let's be clear, we have to be honest. These are really real facts that's gonna be the greatest human disaster by far, by thousands of times than any disaster in human history. Nothing that's happened it, uh, meets the magnitude of this, and it's within our control, no question. Uh, in fact, there's no choice between prosperity uh, and uh, and people's lives and, li and livelihoods and their quality of living at all, because we could make a green transition. 
The problem is the interests that don't profit from it, lose profit if we devalue their fossil fuel resources or make them change their way of doing business. And they're the most powerful people. They're billionaires and they're giant multinational corporations. So even Democrats are not doing enough. And I don't want to pick on our governor, Tony Evers, uh, but just to be clear, his budget was historic in that it actually did some things on climate. I'm telling you, any serious analysis of it would be that it increased emissions. So it's great that he started to do things, and that's great compared to everything else, great compared to Scott Walker. It's not enough. And he signed a budget without vetoing it that actually clearly dramatically increases emissions. Well, we need to start cutting them something like 8 9% per year, which takes dramatic change. Uh, Joe Biden, to his credit, is currently behind and will get to build back better and the whole infrastructure debate. Uh, doing $3.5 trillion is fantastic. It, we probably need to do $16 trillion, so it only needs to be a first step. But everyone else isn't serious. And I'll get into why that is. But Claire, I want your thoughts on we are seeing at the national level the Democrats, especially the progressives and the uh, everyone outside of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and the uh, most moderate Democrats in the House willing to step up and do this, do a big chunk of this, which is the best we've had in this country. But then we have, my goodness, the rest of the Democratic Party is, is not willing to do enough. And then the Republican Party is outright trying to sabotage the future of the species. That is not hyperbole. That is the really real. But Claire, I know that's a lot. So any reflections you have on this moment and what it means we should all be doing as committed progressives? Uh, yes. So I think before I answer your, your bigger political question, I thought I would pull out just a small number of facts, um, not necessarily from the report, but from some of the local analyses of the report and their projections for talking about what this um, will likely mean for people here in Wisconsin, uh, the level of climate change that is being detailed in this report. So the report says that uh, even if we reduce our emissions uh, to a very low level, um, uh, carbon dioxide emissions, um, that temperatures are still likely to rise at least 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit in the next two decades. And so what we're really, really trying to do is get to a zero emissions level so that we can slow and stop the global warming and climate change beyond 2050, right? Um, so that's sort of the time frame that we're, we're looking at now. Um, and in Wisconsin, the analysis says we're already a lot warmer and wetter than we were half a century ago, um, as far as the weather experiences uh, that we're seeing here on the ground. So temperatures have risen around two degrees since the 1950s and are expected to warm another two and a half to seven and a half degrees by 2050. And the amount of rain and snowfall we're seeing each year has increased about 15% as well as, and we're seeing many more of these extreme weather events. And interestingly, that's also juxtaposed with abnormally dry years also. So part of, uh, I think what's helpful about the way that we're talking about this now is that we're moving away from language like global warming and talking about 
uh, global climate change and about extreme weather events, because it's not just about the fact that the temperature is warming. It's also about the fact that we're getting much, much more severe weather events and that we're getting them more quickly and we're getting them at both ranges or both ends of a range, right? So we're getting really, really dry years with a lot of droughts. And then we're getting really, really wet years with a ton of rain. And often we're getting periods, like even this summer we've experienced, we had a tremendous beginning of the year in Wisconsin stretch of dry, dry weather. And then we had a series of storms over the course of the week that were really severe. Um, so sort of this oscillation between extremes uh, is getting more prevalent. And uh, I think that's important to keep in your mind so that when climate deniers and people who think that we should not be alarmed about climate change say things like, we had a ton of snow this past winter, the planet isn't getting warmer, you can say, no, it's not just about how warm is the planet getting, it's also a fact that like getting that much snow is also uh, a sign that we should be alarmed, right? Yes, it creates more volatility and variation of all kinds. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, thank you. So I think that is, that's one thing, right? And we've talked about how Ron Johnson, for example, has stopped referring to himself as a climate change denier and just saying that he doesn't think that we should be alarmed by it, right? And so the language of the opposition on this has changed significantly in the last few years. And so the way we talk about it needs to change as well. Um, and if, if what they're saying is we just don't need to, we can believe it exists without being needing to be alarmed by it, means that like we need to be talking about how flipping alarming it is, right? And that's why, you know, Robert's language may feel hyperbolic, uh, but is actually accurately representing how severe this situation is. Um, I think that the human toll of these major climate events is going to be, how can I say, um, we're, we're, is going to be much more in our face uh, in coming years and frontline communities like low-income communities, communities of color, indigenous communities, um, disabled populations, uh, frontline communities are going to experience the brunt of the effects of climate change uh, much more uh, readily, and uh, I hope that that has an effect on um, elected officials and community leaders who aren't taking this seriously. Um, we can talk more about this after the break. I know we're coming up on, on a break. Well, and what we're going to talk about is the big news, aside from the big news and the headlines is climate change, COVID-19, which we'll get to. But first, a connect with climate change. That is the Build Back Better agenda, so also referred to as the infrastructure bills. There is a budget resolution and a smaller, quote-unquote, bipartisan bill, and that advanced this week. So after the break, we will be talking about that, how it relates back to climate change, and what it says about the choices before our country and the world. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back on Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Well, Claire, the Washington establishment, the K Street crowd is all abuzz, and the cable news folks 
uh, about the uh, big Senate debate this week until 4 a.m. this week on 4 a.m. Tuesday, where they both approved the bipartisan bill, that is the smaller version that does much less on climate and less on things like health care and child care and uh, basically working class issues like uh, everything around wages and equity, much less on those, but does kind of hard 1960s style infrastructure, plus some, some, some electric charging, some climate mitigation, that's that's important in it, but that's not the, that's not the thing the moderate Republicans would sign off on, and we're in this interesting dance because progressives who are better organized in the Senate and the House than they've been since the 1960s, they're more numerous and they're organized now, um, are saying no climate, no deal, and that we need the entire 3.5 trillion, whereas the moderates are saying we just need this much smaller thing that we just passed with uh, with Republicans. And so the Democrats are standing fast and they got uh, the, the five, $3.5 trillion budget resolution out of Bernie Sanders' budget committee approved by the Senate to be sent to the House. So now it's all at the House. Both of them are. And Nancy Pelosi, following the lead of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is saying that they have to go together, that they will not just pass the bipartisan one without passage of the larger one. And we have various moderates in the House and then Senator Cinema and Manchin uh, playing games like they won't support the uh, larger one, which AOC and others are saying, well, then you're thinking your own bill because you won't get it unless you do the other. And so that is starting now. Congress will come back earlier, the House is, the lower House, than before. We just did a press event today with Gwen Moore and heard all about what she thinks is going on the inside for Milwaukee media. And so that's where we are. But it does relate to climate, as I said at the top of the show, Claire, and a lot of other things that you'll want to mention, because it is a large step towards what we need to do, given the worsening climate crisis. But it is only one step. Everything else is not a step. And the way I see it, Claire, I'm wondering your reaction all the folks who say, oh, we can't spend $3.5 trillion because fill in the blank, the national debt, inflation, though, quite frankly, the Fed can do things about inflation. All the other arguments, a lot of the folks who supported the Trump tax cuts, which were not paid for at all, much of this is paid for. So in many ways, by making the wealthy and corporate sector pay its fair share, where they've been paying less and less of a share almost every year. Uh, since uh, the Reagan revolution began, it's continued, including among Democrats, even here in Wisconsin. And so really, this is taking money and saying it, we're not going to let billionaires park it in Barbados. We're not just going to run up a stock market bud- bubble. We're going to give it to average people. And guess what? They're going to spend money in the local economy, and that creates more jobs and is far more effective economically than giving even more to people who don't need it so they can build even more generational wealth. I mean, frankly, Claire, if they can take joyrides to space, they really can pay their fair share. But let me, you can take any of this you want, talk about the healthcare things. There's a lot of other things that would be in the combined Build Back Better package that we are talking about that Joe Biden is behind. Uh, But the debate is going to start in the House uh, in August and late August. And the hope is we can get a final thing done by October, which will make this the biggest thing if it stays as big. 
since the New Deal and FDR, but obviously for a different time with different needs. But Claire, that's a lot. Respond to any piece of that you would like, obviously. I think the place that I'll start is this argument that somehow investing uh, four and a half uh, trillion dollars in the American public is uh, unaffordable um, because there's there's enough money in our society out here to do it. And um, we're just allowing that money to be um, hoarded in private hands and then passing policies that protect the people um, who are sitting on on all of that that money, right? So during the pandemic alone, according to the Americans for Task Fair, uh, Tax Fairness, America's billionaires got 60% richer. That's a trillion, over a trillion, I think it was $1.8 trillion richer during just the pandemic alone. And that is more than the cost of the entire bipartisan infrastructure bill that just passed uh, out of the U.S. Senate this past week, right? So, like the money, the money is out there. Um, we, uh, we we just need to be, as a society, valuing investing our society's resources in ways that will make our community healthier and stronger. Um, and now I'm not saying I'm not saying let's take a trillion and a half dollars from just the billionaires. We're saying like they can afford to pay their fair share of taxes. And so uh, let's, uh, let's leverage um, the resources that are out there uh, in the IRS. Uh, let's change the tax code to make sure that we can fund these important investments uh, in the infrastructure bill, but also in the budget reconciliation bill, the $3.5 trillion bill um, that you're right, the, the house will uh, be taking up in August and September. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that uh, you're right to draw the distinction between the trillion dollar package that um, the the high level framework for which passed out of the U.S. Senate this past week. And to be very clear, we won't see the final, final pieces of the bills um, and all the different components and all the different programs um, in the, the $3.5 trillion bill <clears throat> until later in the year, um, what passed was sort of the, the department level budget allocations. Like this is how much money, this is the budget framework. This is how much money you have to play with. This is what is gonna go to each sort of budget area, right? Like there's still details that are being hammered out and that we won't get until September. Um, but this was a, a major hurdle, the, the biggest hurdle, right? The dollar amounts. Um, so, but anyways, um, I digress. That is to say um, that in the infrastructure package, it's important to draw the distinction that there are some climate things in there. A lot of them are climate um, sort of resiliency things. So I mentioned before our break that a lot of uh, frontline communities are gonna be the most uh, vulnerable to the effects of climate change, right? So uh, populations of people that live in flood areas, populations of um, people for whom mobility and moving out of uh, things like floodplains and areas of rising sea levels and areas where there's extreme heat and extreme cold um, is, is a challenge, whether it's for, for income reasons or physical mobility reasons. Um, and so, so some of that infrastructure money is aimed at climate resiliency, like shoring up seawalls and better managing uh, water and things like that. Um, you could make an argument that, yeah, you know, 
sure we need to we need to transition to you know not driving gas guzzling cars that uh, emit a lot of bad you know things into the into the air and we need uh, charging stations for that of course yes um, but you know the, we still need to be putting pressure on the biggest industries that are are polluters right so like let's not pretend like all of the responsibility here needs to be on people to start buying electric cars. We also need to be putting systemic pressure on uh, the biggest industries that are creating a tremendous amount of pollution. Anyway, so that's my feeling about the infrastructure package. It does a little bit, doesn't do enough. Like we still need to have societal pressure on major polluters. Um, I'm hopeful that the bigger $3.5 trillion package, when we see what's finally like actually in it and all the different components later in the summer, will have more substantive um, climate change prevention and um, uh, addressing, what's the word I'm looking for? Address climate change in a more serious and substantive way. I think that's the goal of the very united group of progressives and even folks who are a little to the right of progressive, but not on the full conservative wing of the party are going to do. I know the Climate Conservation Corps is in there, which is huge in and of itself. Uh, it's just one one of other examples, but I think the way to think about this, and here's what we want to, I want to prevail in the lab before we go to a break upon all of our listeners. The next couple of months are going to determine a lot. This is like a big chunk towards the new deal. Uh, if we are able to succeed and keep a very large package uh, and get it approved in October. It'll be one of the great legislative co uh, accomplishments in American history by Joe Biden, by Chuck Schumer, and by Nancy Pelosi. I mean, really, given the, the degree of difficulty and the narrowness of the Democratic margin and the scope of what the issues are in this country and uh, what the opposition is like, which is a threat to democracy. And so I really do think you have to think of it this way. If you're take all their arguments. Most of them are made up. I'm talking about the, uh, the most conservative Democrats and certainly the Republicans. Okay. They are completely uh, immaterial compared to what they're preventing by this. The question is, are you against taking serious action on climate change, which means you're for the worst disaster in human history by a thousand times? Are you, are you against people having more affordable health care? Are you against people having childcare so, and, and universal pre-K so that young working families can actually work and make money in the economy? Are you against free community and technical college? Um, are you against reducing child poverty by 45%, the child tax credit, making it permanent, an EITC uh, enhancement that helps us single adults dramatically? Are, and I've just started. Are you against all those things? Is anything they're saying is an objection measure up to the list I just got out in 45 seconds? No. So you need to say that to all of your friends, say that to members of Congress, say that on social media, because this is the biggest opportunity we've had in generations to make real change in this society. But now we have to go to break. So we have a lot more to talk about when we come back here on Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director, joined by Claire Zautke, Citizen Action's Health Care for All Director. And we've talked about big issues so far. We've talked about the climate threat and the shocking new developments in the international research. We have talked about 
are if it stay if it stays the biggest social investment that is the entire uh, infrastructure bills uh, not just the small one uh, being on the table and being something that could happen by October but depends upon us progressives and one thing we haven't mentioned yet because there's a lot of big things going on is the threat to democracy and is the Democratic Party unified enough to save itself and save democracy? And that is, we've talked about that a lot on Battleground Wisconsin. We know the threats. We know that we have the first conservative party in the advanced industrial world to turn against democracy and against majority rule and didn't see a way to win uh, through majorities uh, and hold any power and therefore to move to make a beeline towards some kind of authoritarianism. And we have wave of voter suppression across the country unparalleled since Jim Crow. And there's a federal solution, the For the People Act, and also uh, basically re-upping the uh, Voting Rights Act to get to get it operational again after the Supreme Court attack on it, the right-wing Supreme Court. And But we need, 50, we need 50 votes, and we need to modify the filibuster, a relic of Jim Crow. The Democrats tried to take another step right after they passed the uh, budget resolution and the bipartisan infrastructure bill at four in the morning. They took some democracy votes. They didn't. They did not succeed because the Republicans objected, because we will never do this except through just the Democratic majority. And then they set it up. So when they return the Senate in September, this is the first thing they will take up. And the Texas um, state representatives who have fled the state to prevent their voting suppression bills um, have been in Washington putting pressure on and uh, this week, the uh, governor of, uh, of Texas, uh, he, uh, he, Greg Abbott, and their Speaker of the House put out arrest warrants for these uh, state representatives who are trying to save democracy and majority rule in Texas. So, Claire, we know that there's a Wisconsin angle to this, uh, but I know we're going to be following this for a long time. But anything you want to point out as far as what stage we're at, then I'm going to go to a, another gigantic topic. The uh, absolute uh, skyrocketing of COVID, the COVID pandemic again. But on democracy, Claire, any thoughts before we move to COVID? I would say that this is a good example of why it's important that we uh, that we stay engaged in this governor's race as progressives. Um, you know, Tony Evers. Um, may not be the most uh, sort of like ideologically purely progressive candidate that we've ever seen uh, for governor in the state of Wisconsin. Lovely human being, lovely man. I'm excited to, you know, continue to vote for him as the Democratic candidate for governor. Um, um, You know, but I think, you know, sometimes, you know, people will get frustrated if if a candidate or an elected official doesn't do exactly what they want or doesn't share the exact same beliefs as they do. Um, But in this case, um, it was important that we had a Democratic governor in that seat so that he could veto these terrible six anti-democracy bills, things that would have absolutely 100% made it harder for people in this state to vote. And uh, it uh, this upcoming midterm election would be so much more challenging if bills like this had been allowed to pass. So things like Republicans wanted to um, get rid of this sort of indefinitely confined 
um, voter identification exemption, uh, which would have completely disenfranchised a large number of especially physically disabled folks. Um, and the disability advocates were all over this issue, rightfully so. And so major shout outs go to them for um, elevating this issue. Um, the Republicans also wanted to do things like limit the number of ballot uh, drop-off sites for absentee ballots to just one site outside of the clerk's office, um, which there's no logical reason needs to happen except for just making it physically more challenging for people to cast their ballots. Absolutely no reason other than that. Um, and, and specifically to make it more challenging for people to vote absentee or by mail in uh, democratically heavy uh, jurisdictions, we'll say, right? Um, it's just, it's just so, so clearly attempts to whittle away at the voting population um, in, in Wisconsin to consolidate power amongst the Republican parties. So, um, you know, kudos to the governor for vetoing these bills. Um, let's continue to stay vigilant in defense of democracy. Now, Claire, I agree with you because I think progressives have to be bold and aspirational and try to do what needs to be done, but also have to be realistic about power because the heart of all good organizing is a power analysis. And power analysis tells you how, what you have to do now, what you can achieve now, what power you need to build to achieve what actually needs to happen. And the current two-party system, we have a forced two-party system in the United States. We could do a whole podcast on that one, some episode. Uh, other countries do not. In fact, the Democratic Party would be more than one party in most other democratic systems, because uh, most of them are parliamentary systems. They're multi-party systems. And so what hap what, what's happened is a malignant radical right movement has taken over the Republican Party, lock, stock, and barrel. They're neither the progressives who have surged and have far more representation in the party than they've had since the 1970s right now, nor the moderates who continue to hold a lot of positions, including the presidency, including the governorship in Wisconsin, neither one can dominate the party. So we are in a necessary coalition to save democracy. And our role in the ecosystem as progressives is to try, as progressives in Congress are, to move the moderates left. And Biden's moved much more left than Governor Evers is. We all need to get better organized and keep working on that here in Wisconsin. Uh, but that is the only way. But you know, we would not have vetoed these horrendous bills. And let's let's not pretend any of these Republican legislators in Wisconsin sat down and wrote these bills with their feather quills to give a founding father kind of reflection. These are right wing boilerplates and they're just introducing the same trash that's that's being enacted in Florida and Texas, in Montana, uh, in Georgia, in Arizona and on and on. And uh, Governor Doyle also a former moderate Democrat governor, used to call himself a goalie. Governor Evers is being, for the most part, a very good goalie. I don't think he has a, a complete shutout going, but he, he's, uh, he, he's been a very effective goalie. He's, he's shut out most of the horrendous stuff, except for the state budget. But he did have limited power there, but that's a longer conversation. So that's where we are, and that means we do. And let, now, Governor Evers had a serious primary opponent. I can tell you what says next. We have to look at it but he doesn't. There are no rumors currently of such that I'm aware of. 
and therefore we must reelect this man. And in fact, to what extent he has limitations in his reelection, progressives need to fill them in. Okay, if he isn't good at mobilizing the base, we need to mobilize the base, okay, because we need him in the governorship. Otherwise, Claire, here's the thing we need to be aware of. Wisconsin is one of the handful of states that determines presidential elections. We now know from late recent revelations that Donald Trump did have a detailed coup plan involving uh, with a with a legal theory that the U.S. Supreme Court and the Wisconsin Supreme Court might have adopted that state legislatures, when there is fraud, can name the electors. And if that had happened, the memos were written. A Wisconsin memo was written. But we, it was by the skin of our teeth, they were not submitted. And if that had happened, if they'd been issued by the Department of Justice, which he had rigged to do this, then do you really think the, U, the Wisconsin state legislature majority, which is a gerrymandered majority, Claire, would not have named the electors because the Department of Justice said there was fraud, even though we know there was no fraud and it's a big lie. So, Claire, in the time we have left, what do you think? I think they would have, and certainly Georgia's and Arizona's and Pennsylvania's all could be relied upon to do so. And as a result, Donald Trump would be president right now. And that will happen again with Trump or his successor in 2024 unless we hold the governorship and take back, start to take back this legislature. I think the fact that State Representative Janelle Branchin from the what, Waukesha area suburbs is still leading this fraudulent uh, elections committees, fraudulent investigation, looking for non-existent democratic fraud now, uh, you know, almost a year after the election is pre- categorical proof that they absolutely would have, or at least a contingent of the Wisconsin Republican legislature would have done that, 100%. Otherwise, why would they still be continuing this fight after the rest of the world has moved on? Boom, done, complete. Perfect. So, and that was great. So with that, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back on Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, uh, joined by Claire Zowski. And boy, we've talked a lot about a lot of big issues already, Claire, this week. But they keep coming and coming. Uh, the Delta variant is taking off. Hospitals are being completely overwhelmed in places like Mississippi and Florida. Uh, it's, hap- it's affecting kids, kids in ICU, kids on uh, kids being put they're creating a kids ward a pediatric ward in a parking garage at the university of mississippi health center because they've run out of space and this is taking off everywhere because so many people are not vaccinated and that has a lot to do with this malignant right-wing movement we've been talking we talk about every week but we've been talking about so far so i think claire that that really has to do with us doing what's necessary and if there's a critique of democrats same as on climate change they're not the deniers. They're not sabotaging it. But in some cases, they are not doing everything that's necessary to save life. But we have to pull together on this. Uh, but if you have a comment on that, Claire, but I want to quickly get, because we were talking about democracy, to the big race that we're going to have new open seat in Congress in Wisconsin, uh, which we will talk about in a minute. But any reflections on where we are in COVID-19 other, other than this was predictable, and we need to freaking get our act together. 
Uh, this is literally not about science anymore. This is about our political polarization and the willingness and heedlessness of the Republican Party to sacrifice life, including the life of their own base, for their own political advantage. Yeah, so we're consistently in Wisconsin now over a thousand new confirmed cases of COVID a day. And we haven't, for context, had over a thousand repeatedly every day new confirmed cases of COVID since the, the first week of February, I think. Uh, so we really have uh, backslid a lot in our progress. And uh, I think because of that uh, and the you know, vast, vast majority of that being attributed to uh, people who refuse to get vaccinated and have no legitimate good medical reason for that. Um, we are going to start seeing as a society more backlash uh, against the folks who are refusing to get vaccinated and therefore prolonging the pandemic and also making room for new, more dangerous variants of the virus to come to prominence. Um, and I also think that part of that backlash is going to be uh, increasing pressure, especially as we had into the school year, the fall and colder weather for um, uh, venues like restaurants and um, concert halls and um, schools and places where people gather coming out with requirements for uh, vaccinations or proof of very recent negative COVID tests for entry. Uh, we just saw Summerfest, for example, the biggest outdoor music festival in the world, just announced that you're going to have to show proof of vaccination or a, I think within 24 hours or something, a negative COVID test. Uh, and I'm sure they, uh, I'm sure that they saw the Lollapalooza photos, the big outdoor music festival in Chicago circulating on social media where everybody was crammed in so closely together. Together, it looked terrifying and said, we don't want that to be us. So I would not be surprised that we see more of that coming in the future. Um, I, I hope that is the case. And look, it's not just the red places like Mississippi, right? Most school districts in Wisconsin are not going to have mask mandates. The CDC says you have to have mask mandates to protect our kids. And you probably need, you do have to have all school employees vaccinated. And, and the Biden administration, to its credit, is calling on employers to do that. Citizen action, you can't come into our office. By the way, we also have limits on how people can meet the office at once under, under condition red. But you can't come in if you're not fully vaccinated. You can work remotely. And, you know, the biggest impact, according to the research, is fascinating. It's if airlines did that. So all these unvaxxed people are start to want to vaccinate if they can't travel uh, without a vaccination. We need to do all that. But let me move on. We've been talking about democracy a lot, and we have a five-vote uh, margin in the House of Representatives, and we could lose it to the, the, the Kevin McCarthy wing of the party, the insurrectionists. And Ron Kind, a very moderate uh, Democrat, is retiring in the western part of Wisconsin. And some of the uh, insiders, Claire, are saying it's because Biden has been too liberal and because of the radical progressives and the moderates are jumping ship because they're so appalled by us doing all the things we actually need to do uh, in terms of the American Rescue Plan and now the very large infrastructure bill and budget resolution moving. So, Claire, do you think Ron Kind is leaving because we're do because the Biden administration is being too bold? But even the second question really is, how do we hold the seat? Uh, yeah, I don't want to speculate on why Ron Kind is, is leaving. Um, I would say if it were me, I don't think it would be 
because of how bold the president has been. I think it would probably just be because I'm tired, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if the answer were just, I've been doing this for a quarter of a century. I'm facing a really tough re-election race in one of the most important uh, purple districts in the country, and I'm tired. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he were just doing this for himself. Uh, so I, I wish him a tremendous amount of luck and uh, rest and peace in his retirement. Um, but more so, I wish Wisconsin uh, <laughs> a lot of luck in finding a strong, successful replacement. So that is my super smooth segue into talking about what I would like to see happen in that seat. Um, so I think it's important for context here to say, like, this is a really important seat in Wisconsin, but also in the entire country, right? Uh, the House of Representatives has a very slim majority um, of Democrats, and they need to keep all of their seats in what is going to be a tough midterm in order to keep control of the House of Representatives. And so... In Wisconsin, this is our only like true purple district um, in at the congressional level. Uh, you know, setting aside the statewide U.S. Senate seats, and so it's important to us. Uh, but like I said, on the federal level, right, having an open seat in uh, this very very swing district means that there's going to be a lot of national attention uh, on Western Wisconsin in the midterms. So I think we have to be prepared for this to become a, a nationally important seat to protect. I think so. And I can tell you the rumors are flying already, not just the rumors, but the candidates indicating interest uh, and, and getting alliances already. I do know, and no one should be upset, I just haven't heard about uh, all of the others necessarily as firsthand, that former Citizen Action Organizer Andrew Worthman is among them, and he's on the DNC, he's very well known in Eau Claire, and that'd be very interesting. We know Andrew very well. He was a very good organizer here um, back in the day. By, by back in the day, I mean around the ACA passage days, so not ancient history. He's still a young, Andrew's still a young man. Uh, but that is going to be big. We have to win. I, I think we're better off with a progressive candidate because I think that midterms are about mobilizing a base, not about trying to appeal to some shrinking middle. Trump almost won Wisconsin by mobilizing a base beyond anything pollsters thought was possible, not by trying to be uh, reasonable for a small, moderate base. But I think that's a debate we'll all have in the primary, and I'm sure Citizen Action and many others will be looking to play a role in that primary. And then we have to win the general, otherwise it's immaterial, right? It, it, uh, it, it's all inside baseball unless we win the general election as well and have the best candidate. And I think we want one that joins Gwen Moore and Mark Bocan and the Congressional Progressive Caucus. But that's uh, our view, I think, of the situation. Uh, but let me just say, Claire, that this points to Wisconsin being critical again. We don't have that much time left, but there's more Ron Johnson news, as there always is. And we actually don't even know where the Ron will be standing for re-election, though I think the fact that he has been uh, incredibly irrational and erratic may actually be him doing the Trump-based strategy that almost pulled off Wisconsin. And so do not assume that he is cashing it in. But we do have this week that he has gone down to 35% approval rating. We also have uh, new uh, analysis from the IRS 
that his uh, prodigious work to get the Trump's tax cuts for billionaires, for corporations and the wealthy, uh, just how bad it was. And that's where he puts his money, not in saving the planet, not in making sure everyone has affordable health care, child care, everything else that has been deferred in this country for decades. So what is your take on Ron Johnson? Because that's the big kahuna. You know, the big enchilada, as they would say, in, in the in the next election. In fact, that's the top of the ticket more than the governor's race. I agree. Uh, the Marquette law poll that came out found that uh, Governor Evers' approval rating is literally unchanged statistically since October of 2020. And yet Ron Johnson's has dropped precipitously, uh, at, at least in a way that I would call precipitous based on polling. Uh, so I think it shows that he is vulnerable. Um, I think the fact that he hasn't confirmed whether he's going to run for re-election or not means that he is either seriously considering it or definitely going to do it and hasn't told us yet. I think if he were definitely, definitely not going to do it, uh, at least if it were me, I would have said that already so that there was the best chance of a strong replacement starting. Um, so, so I think we need to be ready to take on Ron Johnson, and I think he's vulnerable. And remember, the biggest fan of Ron Johnson wearing for election, Donald Trump. So with that, we are fresh out of time on Battleground Wisconsin. It goes by real fast. And so we'll be back next week. And I certainly hope our, our usual host, Matt Brusky, is with us to talk about these and other big issues in the next Battleground Wisconsin.